This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm your host, Norman Lau, and thank you for joining us once again in the conference room aboard the NXL1. And with me, as they are always, my good friends and guests of the show, Will Nguyen, our content coordinator. How you doing, Will? I'm good. Weather is beautiful. You know, spring has finally reached the East Coast here in Boston. Like, the snow has melted, so I am fantastic. That's good, because uh, weather has not been your friend of... Of, of recent weeks, and um, I like the post that you had on Facebook with your really cool sriracha shirt. That was nice. Very festive. <laughs> Springtime <laughs> is sriracha shirt time, pretty much. Absolutely. I'm going to have to dig mine out. <laughs> and uh, on the other mic, we have the creator and producer and writer and tailor of Star Trek Horizon, Tommy Craft. How you doing, Tommy? I'm lovely. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Everything's good. Um, I'm glad to have, have you guys back here in the in the uh, conference room. And it's been um, a little bit of time since we've been together, but that is due to actually leading into the topic that I wanted to talk about today. Real life happens. It happens to all of us. And when I'm talking real life in this situation, I'm talking work. Yeah, as a working professional, your days just kind of just shift every once in a while. They change. The gear gets dropped on you, the hammer, if you will, and some things like the fun things that we have to do from time to time have to get put to the wayside, and I haven't been able to podcast as much as I would have liked. Um, Christopher Jones, you know, the leader here at Trek FM, you know, he had kind of like a life shift a couple of months ago, and these things happen. These things have to get adjusted, and we kind of like fly by the seat of our pants here and maneuver on the fly and get things back in order, so... I feel comfortable as I wiggle myself back into my podcasting chair. And when I was thinking about what I wanted to discuss on the show, what I was in my brain was rattling around, how am I going to decompress from all of this work? How am I going to get back into it? How am I going to just kind of settle into a groove, figure out what I want to do, de-stress, chill out, find ways to kind of get my brain wrapped around what I enjoy? And the first thing that popped up was I want to get back into doing Warp 5 because I love doing Warp 5. I love doing it for the fans. I love talking to Tommy and Will about Enterprise. That's just what I love to do. I will do that anywhere, anytime when I have the time. 
and that's my fun stuff. And then I started thinking, Enterprise, the crew, they're always on duty in life and death situations. How do these people de-stress? How do these people kind of find that time to go off duty and just become themselves again? Not the people on the bridge, not the people that are leaders or those that are trying to save humanity or better the Federation or the Coalition of Planets. How do they become Jonathan Archer again or Charles Trip Tucker III again or Malcolm Reed or Hoshi or Travis or T'Pol or even Flox or even Porthos? What do they do? How do they step out of behind their bridge centers and their consoles and their chairs and just relax? Because that's super important. It's super important to us talking about real life here because we have to be able to recharge our batteries or as Tommy put it earlier, recharge our positronic matrices. Is that matrices or matrices? I think it's matrices. Anyway, I think I'm you're sure right. Matrices for matrices, sure. But that's I, will, uh, I will get in touch with Mr. Data and I will double check with him. <laughs> So that's, I think that's um, a pretty interesting thing because one of the things we like doing as fans is we like taking the dynamic of the fandom that we love and putting it on this premise. What if Enterprise, in this case, what if that was real? What if 2151 was real? What would the cultural touchstones be that were worth preserving from 2151, from now to 2151, and... Would they be resonating back to, you know, from the crew back to, you know, um, to what we're doing right now, like music, culture, art, science? Uh, well, I think you put this in one of the notes, Facebook, social media, all that kind of stuff. Do they even use that anymore? Does that matter to them? Does that help them de-stress? Does it help them decompress? So that's what we're going to try and get into today on this show. Was it really different in 2151 when it comes to I'm off duty? What am I going to do today? What do you guys think? I think the social media idea is actually really interesting, especially because when all of the Star Trek shows were online and during Enterprise was when social media was just starting to come into its own thing. We like during DS9, TNG, most of Voyager, uh, like I think towards the end of Voyager is when you started maybe getting MySpace. But, uh, you know, I was, I was, I graduated high school 2009 and in high school I was like, MySpace was still like the hip thing. So now it's 2009 and now MySpace seems forever ago. So it's just the point of like, I don't think it would have ever factored into the writer's minds, this idea of social media, but like now that we have it, are, are the NX crew people, you know, taking out their cameras and posting selfies with uh, with Klingons, probably not Klingons, but uh, maybe some Andorians, and posting it to their uh, subspace Facebook. Uh, I think that's a really interesting idea. And, of course, you know, you have the, the usual ideas of what they do. You know, they play poker on, in mm-hmm. TNG and uh, in, uh, in Enterprise when they are in the catwalks. But I, I think that actually the, the interesting notion is the social media Maybe uh, maybe they play uh, subspace checkers with their families back on Earth. I don't know. What do you think about that, Will? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an interesting point, which is why I raised it up uh, in the notes because you know, you know, they, there are pictures. I think in the episode um, "Brave New World," you know, they were taking pictures of the landing party when they were down there. They were making sure that they wanted to well document that. 
And for us, you know, what's the next step? Obviously, that begs the question of where are they posting these pictures to, right? There is some sort of mm-hmm. email, right? Is it, you know, is it all subspace now? Is there a civilian? Does the internet exist, right? But I don't think any time right. at all in Enterprise, there was any reference to what we would now know as the World Wide Web or the internet. It's always, I mean, obviously they're on a quasi-military ship, so perhaps their network is different, but there's no reference to them plugging into something that's separate on the civilian channels or the civilian um, civilian infrastructure that would be the equivalent to the internet now, right? I don't think there's, there's even a reference to an email. The, the close we get... The to closest... be fair, do they, they don't do that in the other Trek shows either, do they? Like, I don't ever remember them referencing the internet or anything. Yeah, I think, I think that's absolutely right. And I think... Uh, uh, maybe Voyager had some. Maybe when they went back to ninety six, nineteen ninety six, in that one episode, they. I'm not sure if they actually yeah. referenced it or something like that. But they might have in DS nine too, in the episode where Cisco and them went back in time. Yeah, that's true. Um, but other days. than that, yeah, no, you're, you're right, right. So I think I think with the future shows, I think you could rationalize like they're so far in the future that you know they're it's completely different now. But with Enterprise being chronologically the closest to us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it really begs those interesting questions because they still have a camera. They still have, uh, I think we're going to get into it later, but, you know, they still have movies. They have movie awards because it's mentioned in Home that there's uh, movies that are released. Well, they have movie night too. Movie you night. Know, we've seen that before. Yeah. So it's it's so interesting to compare it to because there are no, there are similarities that are there, but then there's just these huge uh, gaps that aren't explained and it leaves you questioning. One of the things that I found interesting was that, okay, so we're dealing with 160 years in the future and the writers in, you know, uh, in 2000 when they were preparing the scripts for the first season and subsequent seasons, they have to extrapolate what was happening culturally then and trying to think about how it's going to fit in after, say, World War III, the eugenics wars, and then the kind of like the reformation of the government and the culture after all of that, after all of that destruction, after all of that chaos and mayhem. Was the internet basically just one of those things that just dropped because in favor of better technology? I don't know, but that's a fun thing to talk about. But when you think about it 136 years into the future, I think an interesting way of trying to ground that theory is thinking about 136 years in the past. And we're talking about 1879. Looking at what has been preserved culturally from that time period, we're talking post-Civil War, and we're looking at books, photographs, music, you know, up to a point, uh, live entertainment, cabaret, vaudeville, uh, the Edison phonograph was just invented uh, he was just doing the patent for the electric light. Menlo Park was going to get lit up at the end of the year. So you have you have some very classic, iconic cultural touchstones that have survived in all of that time. And in Star Trek, in not just in Enterprise, but in very many examples, I can't even name them all or reference them all, books are still passed around. I mean, there was that very famous scene in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, where Spock gave Kirk a tale of two cities, an antique book, and they quote it. Even when Archer, in two days and two nights, goes down to Riza to relax, 
T'Pol smuggles in his bag the book of the teachings of Sirach. Not a data pad, nothing electronic, not a crystal or some type of like advanced USB, but a book. So obviously books are still important. So if books are still there, what else has survived? I mean, we saw in First Contact when, and I think this is one of the coolest scenes ever in any Star Trek movie, when Zephram Cochran was scrambling around to find his disc that had Steppenwolf's magic carpet ride on there. It was important to him because for some odd reason, that music was important to him. It helped inform who he was as a character. But we hardly ever see music referenced in that way on any of the series. And you would think, well, like you said, since Enterprise was the closest temporally to our time period, you would think some of those things would have survived. Or after those wars, the eugenics war and World War III and all the small pocket wars after that, you would think that they would try and preserve as much of that as they could in any form that they could. So where do you think that that the writers on Enterprise kind of missed being able to use those as opportunities of reference to to let the crew enjoy those touchstones and ground that series more in, in kind of like the, the human culture. I think a lot of it, honestly, is just copyright. I mean, not to, not to be a party pooper and rain on parades, but the reason why you don't hear crew people listening to Elvis is because to license that is going to be a lot of money. What about their own music, though? Because we don't have to go all the way back to our time. They could have created something specifically for their time or 50 years prior. That's a actually that's a fair point. So this sounds. But, I mean, sorry. This sounds ahead. crazy, no, but I I'm almost positive I read somewhere that between season two and three they were talking about shaking up the show and they talked about bringing on a band. Is that true? Does you guys remember reading that, about that anywhere? Yeah, about? that was actually a thing that the studio wanted them. To yeah, do. And that's I think right. It was something like they wanted it earlier in the show because they didn't understand the the concept and they wanted it to apparently be hip to the young audience. So they said, okay, let's have a live band that plays in the mess hall. Mm-hmm. And it would essentially be, you know, like a, a coffee shop where you have different live music every week. And it just would not make any sense. But I mean, that would actually maybe work in Quark's bar. Uh, certainly not an enterprise. Well, I think that Brandon Braga was talking about this. Maybe he and Rick Berman, and this was in the Blu-ray. They were talking yeah. about not just bands, but they're talking about specifically boy bands, you know, right. bands like, um, in sync or Backstreet Boys, because that was at the time that was the hottest commodity in marketing and in uh, in music merchandising. And can you imagine now if you went back and watched one of those episodes and in N Sync was was playing in the mess hall? It would just seem so out of touch. It would be horribly dated, and it would yeah. totally date the show, and not in a good way either. No, is that yeah, what you no. do for your everyday work, Norm? Is come up with these corporate synergy <laughs> plans where you try to try to bridge different parts of businesses and really just synergize across all platforms? Like that's what they're trying to do with Enterprise, right? Like, how can we just bring all our platforms into one? All you know, bring it all together and really just maximize our footprint on on this demographic, right? It's it's crazy. I know. I just couldn't imagine, like, at the end of an episode, or go- going back to an episode now, and trying to enjoy it, and having that that particular cultural affectation rammed down your throat, really, because it doesn't fit in at all. And I will be completely opinionated about that. It just wouldn't no, have fit. It in. would not. No. But yeah. you actually raise an interesting point, both of you, in terms of it could work in terms of extrapolating what pop culture is in that time period which is what i think 
Star Trek didn't do in a lot of ways. And it's tough because at the same time, you know, Star Trek at its heart is about exploration being on the bridge. So when they do take deviations, it's they're not going to go out of their way to really go uh, world build that type of uh, component, right? They're going to focus more on the ships and the alien cultures and like the A story, right? But when you think about it, you know, what would have happened if they tried to extrapolate what what, what 22nd century music would sound like and 24th century music later on would sound like? And there are moments where they attempt to do that. Remember in that TNG episode, um, is it Liaisons or Lessons, where um, Picard has that relationship with Commander Darren and, you know, they have that rollout keyboard, right? And they're kind of playing music it's like a duet but but i always thought that was a interesting extrapolation of this is what an instrument the keyboard would look like in the future literally like a roll-up like you would just roll out right. like a yoga mat and that would be you know a perfectly functioning keyboard so it would be interesting and it's it's tricky because it you walk that fine line of being hokey and being very corny but at the same time you know you can have that potential payoff of having something that's very unique and fresh but i think a lot of ways you know the their bandwidth was already maxed out. They weren't going to go on some tangent to say, oh, this is what 22nd century hip-hop would sound like or rock music would sound like because it would be too weird, it would be too out there, and there would be just too much uh, potential for blowback. But it's very interesting to see, like, what would... Like, I think television still exists in the 22nd century. What would still be on TV? What would be relevant? I don't know. Well, you know, when people like write postcards and try and get in touch with their families, some of the things that they like talking about, they like talking about sports or they like talking about the holiday season or they like talking about, oh, this was the worst hurricane season that we ever hit. I mean, that would have been interesting for Elizabeth Tripp's sister to say, like, you know, you know, we're in Pensacola and, you know, this this I mean, I don't know. It's there seems to be a little bit more of um, the opportunity to layer in what was the the distance between what was happening in their home planet and how far away they are from earth. And in a way kind of trying to bridge that gap because everyone loves talking about home. I think that's why I love that one, um, that one example when Archer was talking to the, uh, the grade school and telling everyone about the ship because it's their tether home, you know, even though that they were, they were doing it through the, um, the very primitive version of subspace relays it still allowed them to believe that they were talking to somebody on the other end, regardless of whether anyone was coming, you know, answering back. They knew that eventually they would be reaching home. And that's really important for Enterprise, at least, because we're still trying to stretch that belief where humanity is going out there and still being humans up to a point. I mean, you know, we're, we've always talked about that the only real difference between an entire human crew on the NX-01 and crews in the future, and not that far flung in the future, but maybe say like the Columbia or the Horizon, um, there were only two alien beings on the Enterprise and was Phlox and T'Pol. Aside from that, entirely human crew. So you would think that they would be doing things like, hey, let's celebrate our birthdays, or why don't we put on a concert? Or the holidays, or, right? Like Christmas yeah. or like... Yeah. It'll be a wacky Halloween episode where they dress up, right? I mean, we never kind of see those those touchstones. I mean, birthdays, I think, with, with Malcolm and his birthday with the pineapple cake. But right, all those other holidays you don't see. You don't see that on really any Star Trek, though. And that's always something I wish they would have done 
is is had you know a holiday episode because i mean even especially in star trek's future world it would not be a religious ceremony at all but it's still something that people do traditionally and mm-hmm. i don't see any reason for uh, for people to not be celebrating Christmas or any other holiday, like Thanksgiving, I would feel like be yeah. a great uh, well, holiday. Yeah, I mean, that one gets a little bit more weird because it's American specific, right? And and there is no America in the future, so I mean, I don't know, like, but there but, is I an mean, enterprise though, right? Because they mentioned that there's still a World Cup that's played. I think they were talking. I think it was Malcolm was talking. Was it oh, to Archer true. or to Trip about? How you North? Uh, I think they're they're referencing I remember North Americans. About, yeah. They're referencing uh, Brits specifically, and we know definitely in that time period there are clearly nationalities still. There are clearly distinct entities. There's a Royal Navy still, so I don't know. I mean, there's a world government, but I, I think there's still very much a regional aspect to it. I always got the impression that that was more of a cultural thing, mm. like you were culturally British or culturally american that's true that's a good point and would not necessarily like they were still specifically defined national borders but if you were born in the england area you know you you're part of the world government but you're you're it's kind of like uh people who aren't religious but still celebrate the holidays yeah uh you know it, Mm it you're not it's just something that you're a part of no, I mean, those are really all interesting points. And one of the things that I liked in in the last couple of ideas that were thrown out were the ideas of trying to come together communally as a ship, because that's what I love doing. I love being part of team building exercises because it allows people to come together and share their strengths and share their talent. And everyone on the Enterprise, at least, again, from putting on that filter of we're believing that this is real, they were all kind of segregated they all have their duty stations and they all have their watches and they all have their duty hours and duty rosters and they have to check in and check out. And you never really see them all together all at once being addressed by Archer saying, okay, we've been doing a great job. Let's all take the day off. We've structured it in a way where duty doesn't really have to be performed or we can reduce our duty hours and let's all go to the insert something here because we don't see that we don't see 10 forward or we don't see quarks and i'm not as well versed in voyager as some but i'm sure on voyager they probably addressed that as well so on the enterprise where what would they have done where would they have gone would they have like converted one of the one of the cargo bays into something that could have been used recreationally um is there a day that they would just all go to their quarters and kind of spend time like, you know, two or three and a quarters and play poker or play music or talk about this or talk about that? I mean, that's it still resonates as being something that they would do. It's not like it was just lost on humanity not to be not to congregate, because that's kind of like built in our DNA to be either in small cluster congregations or large congregations. We like belonging as people. We like belonging to each other. And especially out there, because there's only 84 people. Well, 80, 82, 83 humans and a couple of aliens and a dog. So, and conversely, do people get on each other's nerves to the point where, you know what, you're going to have to wait in line to get into the sweet spot because that's the only place on the ship that I think you can get any peace and quiet. So, how do you think that that dynamic would have worked? Trying to get all the crew together to do something like that? Or how do they just 
find ways to get their brains switched off and become human again. You know, I think that's a good point. I think Battlestar Galactica was a contemporary of Enterprise and it illustrated some of those aspects in, I think, a meaningful way. Obviously, it's a different storyline, but, you know, Battlestar Galactica had that episode Boxing Day where, you know, they set up a makeshift boxing ring where they took out the, you know, aggression and all the energy. Oh, yeah. Right. Starbuck and Apollo were just duking it out there. Right. Chief and, and Adama were doing the same thing. And they also had that tension between the crew. Obviously, it was a much darker environment, but you had that tension where they're, you know, they're playing poker, but they're drinking, smoking cigars. Uh, it's it's much more of a closed, confined, almost locker room environment everywhere. You could see that type of interaction where you can have almost no privacy. You can have that type of friction with other people for sure. So, but I don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility at all that they would convert the cargo bay because I think they use a cargo bay during serious moments when Archer has to address the crew, like in similitude where they're addressing the death uh, when they're launching out um, Sim, right? And they, he addresses the entire crew there. It, w- it would make sense that, you know, that they would also address uh, the entire crew there for shipwide announcements that weren't so serious. Mm-hmm. So I could definitely see them doing that. Maybe team building exercise. We see them playing basketball, which I think was really cool because you know, we like saw that once and it was awesome. to yeah, see. Yeah, because yeah. before that, there was literally zero reference to any contemporary sport outside of baseball in uh, Deep Space Nine, which is which is the craziest thing is that was an extinct sport, which I would love to extrapolate. Like, how did baseball become like this extinct sport that? Cisco just revive, you know, revive, right? So when we saw basketball being like a thing that, you know, everyone was going for, it was like, oh, basketball clearly exists still, right? So maybe they had leagues. They had, you know, they, they broke up into teams. It was like intramural. So they would just, you know, do pickup basketball, which I think would be fun. Make a lot of sense they would do that. But, you know, small things like that makes you realize, you know, does American football still exist? Does hockey still exist? I would think so. Water polo is still there. So like all these things that, you kind of take for granted, mm-hmm. um, but you never see existing in any other iteration of Trek. Makes sense that it's still here. I mean, Tommy, when you were thinking about you know writing the script for Horizon or any subsequent scripts that you may write in the future, do these things resonate with you just to try and weave in some of the cultural fabric and and grounding a certain sense of reality into your writing? Uh, it actually didn't with Horizon because I was so focused on the other larger elements of the story. But certainly when I'm uh, writing original pieces in the future, that take place in the future, that is, uh, yeah, it's very important to me to figure out culturally where things are at and technologically where things are at and to try and imagine a future that is plausible and yet is still its own future culture, if that makes sense. I think it's very important to have that foundation for stories that take place in the future. But uh, no, when it comes to Horizon, it didn't really enter my mind at all, unfortunately. I just think that sometimes when writers sit around in a room, they look for the they look for the specific things to focus on in order to service the story, but I think sometimes it would be nice when they would take a moment and pause and say, how can we bring a little bit more sense of a more realistic texture to the overtone or undertone of the story? 
I mean, well, the just thing is, you need that realism to service the story, and right. I think that's the part that gets left out a lot. You, the best way to incorporate that is to have a story that doesn't focus on that realism, that cultural identity of the future, but a story that uses it and capitalizes on it in an interesting way, rather than just randomly sticking it in there somewhere. And I think if you can build a story based on that, with that as your foundation, it makes all the difference in the world. I mean, I was super jealous of TNG having such a great set in 10 Forward, and especially uh, in DS9 having quarks, because... I mean, that's really that's really a really um, great area for this kind of writing to take place. I mean, especially Quarks. I mean, you have you have probably one of the best bartender characters like ever written. And it becomes a catalyst for a lot of storytelling. So you have the opportunity, both in writers and actors and just in the general world building of your story, to bring a sense and uh, a resonance of... Something that's not specifically, quote unquote, on duty. And I mean, Will, you're—I mean, you're a well-versed niner. With the characters that they were able to craft around the events of Quark's Bar, I mean, how many episodes do you think were launched just because of of focusing just just there as a set? You know, that's a that's a good question. You know, at least a third, probably either in Quark's bar, around the double table, or in the hollow suites too. And I think that I think that was a big part of future Trek and their iteration of recreation. Everything was in the holodeck, or that they were going to do recreation. I'm watching Voyager now, doing a, a, a my first ever comprehensive rewatch, and even in the first season, there are like a couple episodes where almost all of it's in the holodeck. That, you know, when they have some downtime, they're in a holodeck doing a hollow novel, of course, of like ancient England or old Viking mythology, very classical type themes, which has always been Star Trek's bread and butter. They really rely on the classics in a lot of ways. So I think in in terms of future Trek, you know, their recreation is we're just going to go in and pretend we're in some ancient Earth myth and we're going to learn a lot of stuff about this mythology and I think with Enterprise, obviously you don't have the holodeck. So what are you going to do? And I think they did a great job with um, the the mess hall. Movie night is a really ingenious yeah. way to do that. We've never seen that before. Like I don't think we've ever seen popcorn before. It sounds so silly, right. but like yeah. literally popcorn. Like that's a thing still, right? And but see, that's the thing. It's like let me interrupt you for a second. Popcorn's a thing. You know, it's a traditional movie thing. Right. You, you have to have it. As a matter of fact, I think I was watching an episode of Family Feud or Jeopardy where that was like the, the first or second thing that you do. And when you're watching a movie, you would have popcorn. So they preserved that. And it's not like they, they didn't have matter replicators that we of any kind of sophistication. So it would have to be part of the uh, of the contents of their cargo in some fashion. Yeah, basically. I mean, you know, so, you know, so like that's that's what I mean. You have something as. Um, as small as popcorn, not meaningless, but you like I said, something taken for granted, something that's ubiquitous with movies. And I actually just and, thought of something. So the thing with movie night, right? They have a big screen, right? So I know that a lot of uh, military that are now deployed overseas, they're big gamers. There's a lot of people that a lot of deployed um, servicemen, servicemen and women go overseas. They bring their Xbox, they bring their PlayStation, right? And they and they play the same types of games that civilians and everyone else does, right? So in the 22nd century, 
what's the equivalent to gaming? Is there gaming, right? Is there first-person shooters in the 22nd century? Do they have their version of of, of playing you know, a multiplayer-type game? Like, we don't see that, but I think if there was an environment in which that was possible, I think the Enterprise, Enterprise would have been a perfect vehicle for that. I mean, obviously, it's not as dynamic as, you know, playing basketball or doing other things, but it would make sense that, you know, I would totally, I could totally see Travis being a gamer with a gamer control and, you know, totally just, you know, owning Malcolm, Malcolm just throwing his controller down in frustration. <laughs> and that's where you could extrapolate like future tech, right? So maybe it's like, you know, they can do like a future virtual boy type thing where they're like playing some sort of, you know, it'd be kind of like the Wii or something where they're playing some sort of like, you know, tennis match or a boxing match but it's all virtual i think i think that's fun that type of stuff that you can kind of believe would exist in some form in the near future well obviously they still have tvs in the time of enterprise since they're plastered all over the bridge and everywhere else on the ship so i think it would make sense to uh to have some sort of video game it wouldn't necessarily have to be anything uh really high tech and I mean obviously not holographic but it could be a uh, a precursor to holograms in that it looks photoreal but it's still 2D contained to a screen you know that it, kind of thing obviously they'd have very much more advanced processing power than we have now so it would make sense to think that they would have either photoreal or nearly photoreal video games in the future I mean it would have been really cool if Trip became kind of like the the granddaddy of this because he did observe that technology on that uh, on the ship when he became pregnant. Oh yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. I mean, that was their first experience with that kind of hologram. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he could have set that up. He's like, you know, all of a sudden, oh gosh. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna extrapolate me about five ten minutes here on a really cool episode premise because it would have been super cool if Trip was just being Trip and. Burning the midnight oil and being locked into one of the engineering compartments and just everyone thinks he's working, 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 working. He's a little stressed out. He's a little short. He's a little snippy. Um, he's not great company in the morning and the captain's breakfast room. And then all of a sudden at the very end of the episode, he opens up the cargo bay and then there's snow. <laughs> and maybe only for 10 minutes. And there was a huge, at the end, it was kind of like a wah-wah moment where there's a little bit of a power outage on the ship because he had to tap into the main warp reactors to power the hologram just for that moment. But for one single moment, the crew was together and it was snowing on the ship. You know, that's the kind of thing that I would love to have seen the writers tap into because it's just like the snow could have represented so many different things to so many different people. It could have been Christmas to trip. It could have been just a winter wonderland for somebody else. For T'Pol, it could have been torture. Who knows? <laughs> you know, or for Flock, it'd be like, ah, uh, yes. Mm. Fascinating. Oh, that's yeah. Spock, actually, my bad. <laughs> and then Porthos would be off, you know, in the corner kind of yellowing the snow. So would this, yeah, so, would this be the type of, would the, the ending be the explanation that there wasn't any holodeck technology in TOS, but later it became holodeck technology in TNG because they were, they were finally able to master it in TNG, but... It was actually first conceptually realized for you know for a very short pe- period of time by Trip. Hey, that's a really neat idea. Well, well actually, I mean, could... we know that they have holograms in Enterprise because yeah. they use them for their training exercises for their weapons. 
uh, they have that holographic ball that shoots around the armory. Oh, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, you actually in the episode where Malcolm is training Hoshi, I think it's episode two or three, something like that. Uh, he actually puts up emitters on the wall. Right. And right. then the ball pops up. So they obviously have holograms of some sort. So what Trip could have been doing was, you know, some kind of uh, trying to have some kind of really large application of that. Maybe he went and, you know, put emitters up the circumference of the of the of the cargo bay or something. You know what? Actually, it could be explained away a little bit where the emitters were a gift from that alien race and he only had maybe two or three of them. And he finally got them to work. And he just blew them out at the end. <laughs> and they were only left with this just burnt circuitry that he's been trying to slowly replicate over time to try and salvage. But they wouldn't, they never ran into that race again, you know, but it was right. there. Yes, for a brief moment. And then the fans would have been like, wow, that was a very Manny Koto esque way of <laughs> explaining why they didn't get hologram technology in the original series because Trip just couldn't get the things. Uh, to salvage them again. All right, we'll add you that know, to the that list of neat. season five episodes. I mean, that that <laughs> that bucket's probably full of like a hundred and fifty plus ideas of like, oh this yeah, is this is gold. What this is writing gold right here. That'd be a great <laughs> B story for an episode too, because you could have the serious story and it could tie into the to that A story. And throughout the episode, you intersperse these scenes where you know people need a break or something like that, and then at the end, you finally have that moment, that payoff where everybody finally gets their break. When they go to the holodeck and, or not the holodeck, well, might as well be, but the cargo bay. Yeah. Well, you know what? This would have been a perfect, like Tommy, you said that there were no holiday episodes. This would have been a perfect holiday break episode at the end. Yeah, that's true. Because it doesn't have to be the A story, the holiday. It's just the B story is part of the holodeck. Holodeck holiday. (laughs) Oh, done. There's episode title. (laughs) (laughs) We, We did it. Oh, we don't have to do the show anymore. We're done. We quit. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's writing this stuff down. We'll just put it into our script writing software, and then we can send it off to Paramount. Oh, there's no series anymore? Okay, can't make that happen. <laughs> well, we'll get them to restart it just for us. Oh, I love it. And that's, again, that's for our for our listeners and our fans out there, this is the best part of doing what we do in, in our downtime, creating the conversation just like this that... Yeah, maybe it may not happen. Maybe it might. Who knows? We could be the next three writers for season five of Enterprise or something in the future. But the smile that I want you to have on your face as you're listening to this show is is worth all the reward because I know that you, as a fan of Enterprise, have had some ideas similar to this. And you're like, yeah, they totally should have had snow or some type of fun stuff on the show. It could have been neat to see like a turkey kind of like walking around in holodeck form before it got blown out. These are the things that we have that we have certain passions for to see. As oh, I just got an idea right now. I mean, the whole Holographic gift swapping and secret Santa, right? It could just extrapolate in terms of early on. That's in a great series. idea. They don't know what to give each other, right? You know, but they're on this deep space mission for the first time and they need to have surrogates for family. They need to have surrogates for long-term you know, bonds and, and friendships, right? So how do people start doing this? And they could introduce them introducing new traditions, right? This is a new tradition that we're going to start on this ship because we're a family now. And, oh, man, this episode just writes itself, really. <laughs> right? And once again, that'd be a great B story for an episode because you have those scenes interspersed where, you know, uh, Travis gets something for Hoshi, and she doesn't know what to get for him. And so then that B story continues until the end where she finally gets him 
something and of course he really likes it very much like malcolm and his cake for his birthday right, right. no that and that i love that episode because that was one of those tender for lack of a better words tender moments where you actually get to see personalities oh yeah you, you know again this is kind of like the whole the whole gist of this episode is how do the officers drop the veil of their professional lives to become more personal not in just the eyes of the fans but you know as characters as they inhabit their characters as actors and so we have you know we have all of these potential <laughs> i always use that word in this show the potential of these cool situations but fitness i know this is a weird thing to talk about but fitness is very important on a on a ship this size and on a crew this small because you have to stay you have to stay mentally and physically prepared for your duty but it's also really good to help remove stress and to help decompress we've seen that many times there was that really great episode where um uh, i believe it was a night in sickbay where archer was trying to work out his frustration with being a diplomat as he is running on the treadmill in competition with the Paul, who is just there because she wants to maintain her fitness. It's the logical thing to do for a Vulcan. I just love how the treadmill has to have like a futuristic sound. Like remember you notice how they're like punching up the speed. It has like a futuristic mm-hmm. like it can't even sound like a normal treadmill it has to have like that futuristic whirl like oh this is clearly a future treadmill. They may have some additional features to it. It has to sound like a piece of technology right as opposed to just like a normal treadmill. I think that I think that was for me a crack up. Think My treadmill this, is a Star Trek brand. Uh <laughs> I wonder if that's what they have on on the Enterprise. Oh man, yeah. Literally, it, the brand is Star Trek, so uh, oh, yeah. I think that Star might Trek. Be Star Trek, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Um, Part of the Nordic Trek family, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Not many people know that, but you do. Shoot, yeah. I think well, that's the. Fr- I mean, outside of TOS, when they're that one episode where they're like doing, it's like Charlie X. Yeah, and the they're doing like those red roles, pants thing. Yeah, those like combat roles or like uh, martial arts. You know, I don't really. And I think in TNG, you kind of have like the fencing and kind of like a Parisi Square. So you have that. But this is the first time where, you know, we have recognizable gym equipment. Although, you know, it's extrapolated where you have, you know, Travis as that programmable like dumbbell. where like, I can just literally like punch in a weight and it'll change, right? It'll, it doesn't, he doesn't have to actually put in an additional dumbbell or lift up a heavier weight. It's just different, right? So I think that was neat. I think we would also... I also think it'd be neat if um, we ever saw like to Paul teaching in uh, a class that Tal Shia, perhaps we can even come up with an entire new methodology, a new exercise regimen, right? Where she's teaching a form of a Vulcan exercise or Vulcan calisthenics, right? Nickel. And it would be kind of humorous at the same time because it will show the discrepancies between human and Vulcan physiology. Vulcans are just, you know, tougher, stockier, hardier, people right so obviously what they're going to do is going to be much different than what humans can do right so that would been kind of interesting to kind of develop and there was that episode where flocks has like really good hand eye coordination so he just sinks that basketball every time so like he's yeah. just swishing every time so like maybe an episode with flocks just showing like you know as a denoblian he just does things differently to keep in you know keep in shape right well i would love to see Almost like a, a Flox fitness program, you know, where he, <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, where, um, awesome. you know, where he would like bring in officers. There was an episode where McCoy said, you know, you have to change your diet. 
you know, um, to Kirk. And he always has Kirk on the on the medical bed performing his physical so that he can report back to Starfleet that our captain is in tip top shape. And let's face it, Enterprise was all about using the decon chamber to show that off many times. I mean, Scott Bakula was in fantastic shape. Connor Trenier was in fantastic shape. Jolene Blaylock and Linda Park were incredible to see in the decon chamber. So are we saying that this is, Enterprise is definitely the crew of all the crews that we would choose to be like in a triathlon or any type of physical activity. Almost like that old TV show from the, I don't know if you remember this, Norm, like the 80s was like Celebrity. With the Battle of the Network Stars. Yeah, right? So we're just like, <laughs> choose your Star Trek crew to do this, you know, obstacle course, right? Uh, I, oh, we totally got to do that episode. Uh, that would be amazing. anytime, anywhere. Absolutely. Like, right. Well, look, at, I mean, look at Anthony Montgomery had to be in the most incredible condition of any crew member ever in the history of Star Trek. His physique was amazing. And it would have been cool to see him, as Travis, maybe run a boot camp, you know? Or when the Makos were on, there was that one episode where um, Major Hayes and uh, Reed were going at it, you know, doing different styles of kung fu and martial arts because they those were the two main powers of, of quote-unquote, operation security at the time in season three. And that was cool to see because they were training exercises. They were physical fitness training exercises slash self-defense courses in case they were boarded. I mean... That's another point that I wanted to get to. Even though that they found downtime, their downtime could still be very productive. I mean, Hoshi, for example, how do you practice all the different languages that she knows on your duty time? You can't do it on your duty time. You're, it's on the job when you're doing it on duty time. So does she find hours in the day when she's off duty just to do it for fun because she enjoys it so much? Does Trip like Scotty, just go over blueprints and... And schematics just because he likes it over coffee? I mean, does I mean what do you think about that? I mean, do you think they did that back then? I mean, we do it in our regular lives because sometimes we enjoy the work that we do. I'm sure they do too. I mean, that's something another level of realism that you could apply to the show. Well, there was the episode where uh, Hoshi was learning from Dr. Fox how to speak to Nobulin. Um I think that was that that was actually Dear Doctor, wasn't it? Yeah, that's when they were doing the and I think um, Cutler was learning as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, because uh, that's yeah, because she was asking Flax about his relationship with Cutler. And uh, so I yeah, I th- well, especially with the, the crew of the Enterprise, they're so passionate about what they do. You think about how passionate Malcolm is about his weapons, and how passionate Trip is about his engines, and uh, Hoshi about her her language. I, I could totally see them in their off time. You know, when they're not working on... When Trip isn't working on the Warp 5 engine, he's maybe doodling out some ideas for a Warp 6 engine. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know? that's I, I I could totally see that. I think we were talking about it earlier just today in the Babel Conference about the untapped potential of Hoshi and how she could have been so critical to so many episodes. And I was just thinking just right now... She, I mean, this sounds perhaps a little silly, but she could have totally been developing because she was out at the, the frontier of learning and contacting all these new civilizations and races. She could have been putting together the future version of Rosetta Stone, right? She's literally building upon knowledge that she's gaining out here and she's transmitting it back to Earth 
And you could see her literally like creating completely new guides and databases to brand new languages and cultures. And it was really interesting to see potentially, you know, if we ever saw it, you know, her interacting with individuals or people here on earth and them just being amazed at what she's learning because she's literally creating just new types of of academic literature new types of of understanding it'd be really interesting to kind of see her develop in that type of role like how critical that role was okay so let's do a little bit of a lightning round situation here if you were starfleet medical and you read the logs of all the different officers and how much they spent time on duty and you had to recommend certain programs for certain people to say you know what I need you to take your paid vacation days. I really do. Because if you do not, based on the data that I've been reading, we are not going to have you around for a long time because you're going to burn out. I mean, that's that's kind of like a situation I would have liked to have seen because we don't have a Star Trek psychologist or a counselor on board at this time. So who do you think, reading all these logs and you playing the role of counselor, Will and Tommy, who do you think was the workaholic and who do you think could have been a little bit more productive? Let's do a an analysis on the crew. Wait, so who was a slacker and who wasn't? <laughs> no, just who was who could have been more productive in their time based on what you've well, seen. I'll, I'll take the reverse. So I would say definitely Archer's a workaholic because you have that episode um two days and two nights when they when Tapal is literally saying, Captain, you need to go to rise up for two days and two nights because you need to relax and you're not going to be in peak efficient form if you don't relax with your crew. Like you need to go. So you have that. So I would say definitely, I, I would say Archer and maybe Malcolm has that type of like weird, not weird, but they have a unique drive to them, especially Malcolm, who is also more socially closed off. Sometimes he has more that, you know, his work is his life and Archer because he's the captain uh, in terms of who could have done more, it, I don't really think there is anyone. Yeah, it's there? tough because you really. Don't, I think that's the, the 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 mold in which you see Star Trek officers, right? Is that they may have differences in their command style or in their personalities, but I don't think we've ever really seen someone that just kinds of kind of phones it in. Which is another thing about Star Trek, I think, that we missed was that we always see the best of the best, right? We always see the the ones that we kind of look up to. Even the ones mm-hmm. that are supposed to be more everyman, like O'Brien and DS9, he was still very good at his job. But, like, is there ever an average, just, like, a guy who's in Starfleet uh, or a, a man or a woman in Starfleet that's just in Starfleet and it's just a job to them? Like, they're just, like, literally putting in the minimum, right? Like, you never really see that. And I think that's interesting. That would be a great topic for an episode, though. Yeah, that's true. How would you deal with with crew members who uh, who who were slacking off for any any number of reasons? Maybe some good reasons, but that that would be an interesting topic to cover, especially on Enterprise, because what are you going to do with people? Right. You know? And as again, from from the counselor level, how do you how do you assess their performance, and you know who's going to be in the wings waiting to kind of take that position? So, but Tommy, who do you think was the workaholic then? Uh, I would, I would agree either Archer I would, or Trip. I think would be the other one because I remember at one point, uh, Trip. It's an episode with the Vulcans who are experimenting with emotions, and they ask Trip uh, how much he sleeps, 
and he said that he sleeps, I think, like five or six hours a night. That was Fusion, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was because he's always working. Yeah, gold star for you, Norm. Um, <laughs> I remembered something today. Good yeah, job. good job. So yeah, I, w- I would say Trip probably the workaholic. I get the impression that when he's off duty, he's still working on the engines. You don't think he ever switches off? I I mean, he might, but I feel I mean maybe I'm just uh, projecting here because that's what I do. When I'm, you know, when I'm not working on Horizon, I'm working on another project, another film project. And so I get that, you know, when it's something that you, it, when it's, when it's your identity, you know, I, I, I think that's probably in some way he's still doing something engineering related. What about one other option? And it's just because as humans, we allow the stress of our daily lives to show, you know, we wear our emotions on our sleeves. What if the more overworked person on the ship that you would never, ever notice was overworked was to Paul being Vulcan? Oh, I could totally see that. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, because she would be able to control that emotionally. She would never, ever let you know that she was cracking, except because of the um, the, the, the Vulcan mind meld sickness, the, oh gosh, I forgot the name of it, Pinar syndrome. Because of the Pinar syndrome, that started to break down the walls of her culinary discipline. And... Now you actually got to see who the real person was behind T'Pol. The, the frailty that was actually there. The stress that came out during season three, especially in Damage, when she completely let loose on Archer and she destroyed his data pad because she just cracked. Like a, We've never seen either one of the crew members or a Vulcan crack on any of the Star Trek series. So maybe it was her. But I just want to throw that out there because we never get a chance to talk about it in that way with a Vulcan. That's actually a really good point in terms of looking at the Vulcans, right? Because everything is relative, right? So what if, obviously compared to humans, T'Pol is very competent and very driven and almost this harsh taskmaster, but compared to other Vulcans, she could be possibly quite average or quite pedestrian, right? That's why she was assigned to Starfleet, right? Because she was quote unquote more pedestrian and didn't go to the science academy or didn't pursue other pursuits. But to humans, obviously, she's just another Vulcan machine that just lives to work, right? And has this this mm-hmm. this otherworldly discipline. And now that you bring up that point, uh, Norm, I think it's a really that's a really good point in terms of we never see amongst the human crew that type of, I wouldn't call it PTSD, but that type of homesickness or that type of, you know, being on detached duty for a long period of time, how does that affect someone? And obviously the recreation and having that work-life balance is important, but we never see them because because we never see a lower decks type episode, which would have been perfect, which we've talked about on this show before, was we don't see what the perspective from the, the average rank and crew crewman would be, how much they're missing home, what do you think of their mission? Are they second guessing what Archer and the senior staff are doing? What what is what is their perspective, right? And I think, you know, if the series had gone on for for longer, we would have seen that. And I think the closest we got to that was was Elizabeth Cutler, but there was a lot there just to, to from the the average rank and file for them to to grab onto in terms of story. So one of the last things I want to I want to leave you with as an idea to discuss in these last few moments of the show. If you 
wanted to see one particular thing that allowed that great thread and texture of humanity to permeate from our time to the time of 2151, what would it be? In terms of how the crew used that as some type of device to be able to become more connected with the audience as showing off more of their human side, their personality. I think to bring it full circle, it would have to go back to some kind of social media or some sort of interconnectedness with the people back home, um, some sort of text messaging or something of that ilk in the future because it has become such a highly ingrained piece of our culture now. Everybody has a phone when you, uh, relatively speaking, when you watch a live event, uh, for instance, uh, I watch wrestling, WWE. Everybody in the crowd has a phone when a wrestler comes down through the audience instead of out on the stage. Everybody he walks by has a phone filming him. And then, or they take a picture and then you know where that picture or that video is going to go immediately. It's going to go on their Facebook or whatever social media they use. And I think this is a very interesting emergent cultural phenomenon. And I would love to see that included more in Star Trek or in um, some, in, in any future depiction. I would love to see something to do with social media involved. Yeah, so just to piggyback off of that, I think the social media aspect is really important and I think is crucial if you were to develop that type of perspective. I would love to see that social media relaying the passage of time back home. Like a crewman got a message saying, you know, a relative died, a friend died, or someone got married or their friends got married back home or they had a baby. And, you know, they're reacting to it saying, oh, life is passing them by or things are happening back home that they're missing because they're on this deep mission. And conversely, I would have loved to have seen, and this is echoed in other treks too, is a marriage on board uh, the ship or relationships that um, come about from the ship. Obviously, we kind of see it with with Trip and T'Pol and among others, but it would have been really great to have seen these organic relationships develop because of the bonding that happens when they do recreational sports or they do movie night or they do uh, all sorts of things. You kind of see them developing relationships. You can see them celebrating, you know, the birth of children back home. You know, are there any prohibitions about getting pregnant while you're on the ship? We don't know about that, right? I mean, is there prohibitions about that in terms of, uh, of allowing that? So I think, using social media to, to really be aware of uh, what's going on back home and the relationships they're developing on ship is important too. So that'd be nice to see. And I just want to say just real quick, the talk about the social media thing, uh, they still write letters on enterprise because mm-hmm. they mentioned this and they did it in Voyager too. Yeah, they would true. get their letters from home. And this is an age old phenomenon. People writing letters. I mean, this goes way back. People were pen pals for a long time. They would write their loved ones in in Civil War, going back further. And social media, I think, is just a a further evolution of that notion of wanting to stay constantly connected to whatever group or clique or world you're involved with. And I think that's why I think it would be very interesting to see a future extrapolation of social media 
And especially in a case like Enterprise, where you have this group of explorers out, you know, 100, 150 light years away doing what they do and sharing that with their Facebook friends or or whatever. Well, it's, it's neat that you brought that up because um, Phlox probably had the best example of that pen pal, you know, That's in right, his, yeah. his uh, colleague in the Interspecies Medical Exchange. So that's what I like about something as tangible as mail or a care package or having even like a bottle of wine maybe sent to somebody where they would open that at a special occasion. Because for my last thoughts and for what I asked you both, what I would have liked to have seen were tokens that were sent to the ship you know, in some manner, maybe on one of their refits where they had to go back and resupply and there was just a huge bundle of physical mail. And in the physical mail you had, we missed Christmas, here's your gift. Oh, we missed your birthday, here's your gift. Or just a piece of mail that was just a letter, a real letter that was written by a fan of what they were doing or one of the school children. Because even though we have all of this advanced technology, you have subspace transmissions, you have holodeck technology, and you have all of these different things that allow us to become more technologically advanced humans, we still have to find a way to make sure that we're still humans in the future, preserve human culture. And like I said, we still see books. And we still listen to music, and we always reference music of the past in science fiction. We never reference music of uh, contemporary times. We always think about Mozart or the Masters or even the Beatles or Elvis. Rock and roll, classic stuff that people always seem to resonate with. And I always find that interesting in science fiction when they use those as anchors to make sure that you understand where we are in the show versus where we came from which is where we're watching it in this present time. So that's just, I always like seeing that because one of my all-time favorite scenes in any movie is in my favorite movie, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, when Bones gives Kirk his bifocals because they're in the future. He's allergic to red That's true. (laughs) And I love how they explain that away, but they become something that help tie the through line of his humanity in those three movies in Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock, and then eventually The Voyage Home. Because in the end, he lets go of them, but they will be a gift again. That's the beauty of it. Can you imagine and if instead of excellent tie in by the way, Bones gave Kirk like contacts. Like here's a contact <laughs> bo- solution. Here are your contact cases. Uh just go ahead and put that. On. I know you don't. I know you uh, don't know how to put these on, but uh, there you go. <laughs> and deleted scene is just Kirk trying to put on contact lenses and he can't do it. Oh man, that would have been awesome. You know, it's again, it's just one of those things that gives you that extra layer and of texture and characterization that sometimes we, the writers, I say we, but I'm like the people who actually craft these shows sometimes miss i'm not going to say fail to do but i'm saying miss as an opportunity because they are focusing on this a story as opposed to the subtext and the subtext really does matter because it's the glue that holds the reality of it together so 
Do you have any final thoughts, guys? Anything that we missed? Anything that just popped into your head and say, like, you know what? I got to get out this one last time. Oh, maybe clothes. Maybe maybe clothes. I think that's another thing about the Enterprise. I think that was very similar to where we are right now. Their clothes seemed, their, at least their civilian clothes, right? Their everyday clothes seemed much closer to what we would wear than what was seen in the future, which I always thought was this really interesting concept, like extrapolating future civilian clothing. Wait, except for Malcolm's like disco suit from two days and two nights, because that was just flat out terrible. (laughs) It's just bright white. I know exactly. Right. So you have like, do they have malls still? Like who makes clothes? Right. Is it, is it made out of, are they doing it as a new type of, of, of manufacturing? We don't know, but I think all these elements of what is fashion, right. You know, we never see that, but obviously there is something there still. So I think that'd be interesting, kind of see what is determining fashion and what are the tastes of the day. I, guess, I mean, I guess it just kind of ties into that just briefly. It's, I think just at the end of the day, uh, everybody is still human. And this is something that I ran into when at one point I was directing a scene from Hedda Gabler, which is a classical play. Um, and of course, it has that classic language in it, and I, I couldn't quite figure out a good way to direct that. And so I was talking to my teacher about it, and he said, "The thing you have to remember is that these people are still people. The language might be different, but they still have feelings the same as we do, and they they still emote like we do. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind whenever we do future extrapolations. That yeah, things might change, but at the end of the day." We still have feelings. We're still human. We still want to. We still want to connect with each other. We still want to, whether it's Facebook or it's some future incarnation of Facebook or whatever. That that's what's the important thing to uh, to keep in mind as a writer. That's a perfect ending sentiment, Tommy. I couldn't agree with you more. So that was so much fun, guys. I mean, that was really. I mean, that was off the top of our heads. It's something that we enjoy doing, and just thinking about the reality of the situation and trying to plug that into what we would have liked to have seen in enterprise would have been, if they got a little bit more of that in, I think it really would have just added so much more depth to the show, but we love the show. We always say what if the possibilities, et cetera, et cetera. But I thought that was great. And, and thank you so much for, for joining me on the show today and, and talking about that. Cause I hope you had fun too, but this isn't the only topic that we've been talking about here on the network. So here's a quick look at some of the things you may have missed elsewhere this week on other shows. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. It's not an overstatement, and you had said in your introduction that without, without him and his hand guiding all of this, then, then it's unlikely that two would have been what it was and if it had not been successful then it, it you know it probably would have meant the end of star trek at that point earl gray like i'm expecting ricardo martablon to like walk around the corner and be like captain picard welcome this is rise of five the shuttlecraft the shuttlecraft the orb curzon is involved with the kittimer yep. courts Spock is at Kittimer when those are being talked about, so you would think they would have run into each other. They probably least. hung out in the bar together. To the journey! One guy's like, why don't we just write better stories for Wesley? And then the lead writer's like, you out now! <laughs> the Ready Room. The movie series would not have relaunched and, and become what it was if not for the amazing bounce of 
the Wrath of Khan. The Wrath of Khan was to Star Trek the same thing that uh, The Best of Both Worlds was to Next Generation. Commentary, Trek stars. It's also the end of a character and a thing that is really about how uh, death is just a part of life. And that while there's an end, it doesn't mean that it's the end. Literary treks. Well, I always like the, uh, I like that episode for, I mean, it's one of the most derided of the of the original series episodes. But yet, I always it has a place in my heart for some reason. I've always enjoyed watching mm-hmm. it over. So um, I wanted to do something with those guys, the Scalbians. The Six O Two Club. Like I, I could kind of dismiss droids in distress and fight or flight and everything like that and i was just kind of watching the background but all of a sudden i started catching myself like stopping working and just focusing on watching and uh, and so it just got better and better and better and i think i was hooked by episode four breaking ranks that's when i was like okay i like this show this is good warp five in the history of axanar Alec Peters and Christian Gossett wrote a section of the history dealing with the Arcanus campaign. And in the Arcanus campaign, a majority of Starfleet ships were destroyed. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite neck of the Star Trek universe and beyond on Trek FM. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. Now, if you're an Apple user, please hit that subscribe button. That helps us out at Trek FM and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search through iTunes. It's something that allows us to get our numbers up. It gives us a little bit more visibility. And that's really important to a fan-supported uh, network, Aztrek FM, because it's your voice, it's your support that helps drive this network. And we can't thank you enough for everything that you do for us on social media, connecting throughout all the different chat rooms and Facebook and fan forums. So, But please do hit that subscribe button on iTunes or however you get your podcasts. Now, this is something I love talking about. We have another fantastic review on iTunes. It's from CBS Spock. Very clever. Um, And the review says, just like the other shows on Trek FM, this show has insightful discussion on topics covered by the series Enterprise. Give the show a listen, and you might find a new appreciation for the series Enterprise, which wasn't really accepted by some fans when it was first aired. So thanks, CBS Spock. That's why we do this. I mean, Will, wouldn't you agree? We love spreading this word because I think the three of us all agree Enterprise was probably the most overlooked of all the series. Still is, I think, in a lot of ways. But yeah, it's it's what's that phrase? The the newest converts are the most zealous. I mean, I recently finished Enterprise in its totality. Recently, you know, it wasn't that long ago, and I and I feel like I'm on a mission to to spread the word. Newest converts are most zealous. I plunged my life three years into making an Enterprise movie, so I think that probably qualifies, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, right there, exactly. Yeah, Tom Lee definitely, he has the zealot stripes on his uniform, for sure. I think we're going to create a whole new branch, you know, for <laughs> for Starfleet. A new division, branch. yeah, I like yeah. it. <laughs> so if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, on TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and, of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website on FM. And grab that RSS link as well. Now, again, I mentioned before that we are a fan-run and supported network. And everything that all of you listeners do for us when it comes to sharing the popularity of the shows, sharing your enthusiasm on social media or on Facebook, that means so much to us. And it helps drive the visibility of all of the shows of the network just to higher standards. And we love bringing all this content to you. 
But if you would like to go that little bit of an extra mile, one of the ways you can help keep all of this content coming to you is through Patreon. Become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash trekfm, you can find our current goals there in different milestone contributions along with all really great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, so we might be able to get you a show prior to release, exclusive content, stuff that you've never heard before because you are an exclusive member to Patreon. Producer credits. I have become a producer of this network through, through Trek FM and Patreon. These perks are fantastic because it helps us connect to you, our fans, and we want to be able to deliver them to you through this program, and we really appreciate any support you can give us, and we hope you'll join our team. So again, you can find all these details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Floyd Dorsey is one of the associate producers for the show. I am the other associate producer, and he got involved in the program through Patreon, and I can't thank Floyd enough for doing what he does on Patreon and on the Babel Conference, our dedicated Facebook listeners page. So if you'd like to get in touch with, uh, with us here at Trek FM, you can always find us on trek.fm slash contact and look on the sidebar in the show page because you can leave us a message, a voicemail, or an audible transmission on speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. You can also contact us through Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook, facebook.com slash trek.fm, and as I mentioned earlier, the Babel Conference. Now, the Babel Conference is a listeners-supported forum on Facebook where we have fantastic discussions. This is actually where I met our fantastic guests here tonight, Will and Tommy. And the discussion continues. It is so good. It's so fantastic and vibrant. And the enthusiasm is there. If you love Star Trek and if you like listening to this type of content, come join us on the Babel Conference and continue the discussion there. So, Will and Tommy, as we start wrapping things up here on the show, how can our fans get in touch with you across the interwebs and subspace? You can find me on Twitter at, at Will underscore Win, so at N-G-U-Y-E-N. Uh, you can also find me always in the Babel Conference, like Norm said, and I'm also the content coordinator for the network, so if you have any ideas on what we should talk about or you want to just wrap in terms of uh, topics and issues about any of the treks, just uh, let me know. And for me, the place uh, that I post is on the Horizon Facebook page. That's that's my thing. Um, it's it's just listed as Star Trek Horizon, of course, but it's me that runs the page. And that's facebook.com slash horizon, all one word. Slash horizon is the address. And uh, that that's where I am. You know, I know we have a lot of passionate fans here on Enterprise. And please visit the address that Tommy was speaking about because... His project is also fueled by passion, fueled by being a fan of this subject matter. And this, as a community of fans, is something that we should support. So please check it out. And I always appreciate Tommy for being on. We're getting close, right, Tommy, in terms of the final release of the movie, right? I certainly hope so. Um, It's actually, it's moving faster than it was now because I've gotten into a, a groove in a way in where I know how everything needs to be done and it's just it's a process now it's it's much more set in stone than it was i guess i could say and so uh there's 160 some scenes in the movie and right now i'm working on scene 100 so so we're getting there and some scenes take longer than others so it won't necessarily take 
the same amount of time to do the next 60 scenes that it took to do the last 60 scenes. So right now I'm, I'm looking for hopefully sometime around summer, but I'm not officially saying that at all because every time I've set a release date before, I, I always miss it. But something to look for for people who are interested is in the next few weeks, maybe a month, uh, I'll be releasing a snippet of one of the scenes, like a oh, nice. one to two minute clip. And also beyond that, there will be another second trailer coming out as well as uh, more video blogs. Awesome stuff, Tommy. Thanks so much, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Now, before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps bring Warp 5 and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read, but you thought you'd never have time for. Now, some of us commute to work. Some of us take the train. Some of us have long drives. Audible is a great way to get that book that you've never been able to listen to, put it in your CD player or play it off your MP3 player in your car and just kind of get into it. So please support our sponsor. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Um, from there, as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. That's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we'd like to thank Audible for supporting Warp 5 and Trek FM, our network. And don't forget to check out Enterprise in Space, a project of the nonprofit National Space Society that will design and launch an eight-foot orbiter and return the craft to Earth. The NSS Enterprise Orbiter will carry more than 100 student-designed science experiments into space, and you can make that happen. Visit enterpriseinspace.org to find out more and get your seat on the mission. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can always find me here on the network or on the Babel Conference, our Facebook listeners page. You can also find me on Twitter at Norman Lau, that's N-O-R-M-A-N-L-A-O. And, uh, and many of you who have listened to this show and have followed me on the Babel Conference and on my page, you know how huge of a fan I am of supporting Axonar, the independent Star Trek film that is run by Alec Peters, and you can find all that information on the Axonar fan group page on Facebook. And lastly, I'm a proud supporter of Trek FM through Patreon. This is how I got started in all of this, Patreon. And I am an associate producer of four shows here on the network, Warp 5, The Orb, The 602 Club, and Axanar, the official Axanar podcast. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks to Will and Tommy for joining me here tonight. And please join us again next time here in the conference room for another episode of Warp 5. <laughs>